The Siren by Anton Chekhov. After one of the sessions of the Assize of the Peace, the justices withdrew to the chamber where they usually deliberated. They wanted to get into their street clothes and after resting a while, go off to dine. The presiding judge, a very presentable man with fluffy side whiskers, had failed to concur with his associates in a case that had just been tried and was sitting at a desk, hastening to set down his dissenting opinion. An acting justice of the peace, Milken, a young man with a languid, melancholy face, who had a reputation as a philosopher at odds with the world and distressed by the emptiness of existence, stood at a window and gazed sadly out into the courtyard. Two judges had already left. An honorary judge, a fat man with a bloated look who breathed heavily, and the assistant prosecuting attorney, a young man of German extraction with a catarrhal complexion, sat on a couch and waited for their colleague to finish writing his opinion so that they could all go to dinner together. Standing before them was the secretary, a short man with side whiskers, growing close to his ears and a sugary expression on his face. He was looking at the fat man with a honeyed smile and speaking in a low voice. We're all hungry now, it's true, but that's because we're tired and it's after three. It's not, my dear Gregory Savage, what you would call real appetite. I mean, real appetite, the wolfish sort when you're ready to make a meal of your own father. That comes only after physical exertion. For instance, when you've ridden to hounds, or say, after you've been jolted over a hundred versts without a stop in a wretched conveyance. Of course, I won't deny, sir, that imagination has something to do with it, too. Suppose you're coming home, after a day's shooting, and you want to bring an appetite to your dinner. Then you mustn't let your mind dwell on anything intellectual. Intellectual things, learned things, ruin the appetite. You know yourselves that thinkers and scholars are just nowhere when it comes to eating. Even pigs, pardon the expression, pay more regard to their food than such people do. As I was saying, you are on your way home, and you must make sure that your mind dwells on nothing but the wine glass and the appetizer. Once as I was traveling, I closed my eyes and pictured to myself a, a suckling pig with horseradish. Well, sir, I became virtually hysterical with sheer appetite. Now, this is very important. When you drive into your own courtyard, you should be aware of a smell from the kitchen, a smell of something you know. Roast goose is a, a prime smeller, observed the honorary justice, breathing heavily. Oh, don't say that, my dear Gregory Savage. Ducker Woodcock, those are the trumps. The bouquet of a goose lacks refinement, lacks delicacy. The richest odor is that of young onions when they just begin to get golden brown, you know, and when the rascals fill the house with their sizzling. Another thing, when you come in, the table must be set, and when you sit down, you tuck the napkin into your collar, and you take your time about reaching for the vodka decanter, and mind you, you don't pour it into an ordinary wine glass. You don't treat the sweetheart that way. No, you pour it into something antique, made of silver, an heirloom, or into a quaint pot-bellied little glass with inscription on it, something like, As you clink, you may think, monks also thus do drink, 
and you don't gulp it down straight off. First you, you sigh, you, you rub your hands together, you gaze nonchalantly at the ceiling, and only then, slowly, you, you raise it to your lips, and at once sparks from your stomach flash to your whole body. An expression of beatitude spread over the secretary's sugary face. Sparks, he repeated, screwing up his eyes. And as soon as you've had your sniffer, you turn to the appetizers. See here, put in the presiding judge, raising his eyes to the secretary. Be quiet, you've made me spoil two sheets. Oh, I am sorry, Pyotr Nikolaitch, I, I will speak more quietly, murmured the secretary, and continued in a, in a half whisper. Well, my dear Gregory Savage, as I was about to say, when it comes to appetizers, one must know one's way about. The best appetizer is herring. You eat a bit of herring with onion and mustard sauce, and without waiting, my friend, while the sparks are still flying in the stomach, you help yourself to caviar with lemon juice, if you prefer it that way. Then you have a radish with salt, another piece of herring. But I'll tell you what's better still, my friend. Salted pink mushrooms, minced as fine as caviar, and served with onion and olive oil. Exquisite, but eel-pout liver, that's beyond anything. Mmm, yes, agreed the honorary justice, screwing up his eyes in turn. Mm, another good appetizer is stewed white mushrooms. Ah, oh, yes, yes, with onion, you know, and bay leaf, and other spices. You lift the lid off the dish. And the steam rises, a smell of mushrooms. Sometimes it really brings tears to my eyes. Well, sir, the meat pie is brought in from the kitchen. And at once, without delay, another glass of vodka is in order. Reven Gurriach, you made me ruin the third sheet! Ah, deuce him, he can't think of anything but food, grumbled Milkin the philosopher with a look of contempt. Is there nothing to live for but mushrooms and meat pie? Well, sir, before the meat pie, you, you down another one, the secretary repeated in a low tone. He was so carried away that, like a nightingale singing, he heard only his own voice. The meat pie must make your mouth water and must lie there before you, naked, shameless, a temptation. You wink at it, you cut off a sizable slice, and you let your fingers just play over it this way, out of excess of feeling. You eat, the butter drips from it like tears, and the filling is fat, juicy, rich with eggs, giblets, onions. The secretary rolled up his eyes, his mouth stretched to his ears. The honorary justice groaned and twiddled his fingers apparently seeing the meat pie before him. What the devil, grumbled the acting justice, walking over to the farther window. You eat only two slices, the third you keep for the shi The secretary went on like a man inspired. And as soon as you finish with the meat pie, have the shi served to keep the appetite at pitch. The shi must be piping hot, but even better than shi with all that cabbage, as a borscht, prepared with sugar beets, Ukrainian style, you know, the way, my friend, with ham and country sausages. It should be served with sour cream, of course, and a sprinkling of fresh 
parsley and dill. Another excellent thing is a is a rasselnick with tripe in it and giblets and young kidneys. And then if you want a soup, the best thing is a vegetable soup with carrots, fresh asparagus, a bit of cauliflower, and whatever else is legitimate. Yes, it is an excellent thing, sighed the presiding judge, lifting his eyes from his papers. But at once he caught himself up and moaned, Oh, for heaven's sake, if you go on like that, it'll be evening by the time I get through with my opinion. I've spoiled a fourth sheet. Oh, not, not another word, not another word. I'm very sorry, the secretary apologized and went on in a whisper. After you've had your borscht, or your soup that you prefer. Have the fish course served. And immediately, my friend, of all the mute race, the finest is Crucian carp fried in sour cream, but so that it doesn't have any odor of silt. To give it true delicacy, it must be kept alive in milk for 24 hours. Oh, fish ring made of sterlet is good too, put in the honorary justice closing his eyes, and then suddenly, astonishingly, with a ferocious air, he rushed from his seat and roared at the presiding judge. Oh, Pyotr Nikolaitch, will you be done soon? I can't wait any longer. I just can't. Just let me finish. Oh, the deuce. I'll eat alone. The fat man waved his hand in despair, seized his hat, and without a goodbye, ran out of the chamber, the secretary sighed, and bending over the ear of the assistant prosecuting attorney, proceeded in a low voice. Pike perch or carp with tomato and mushroom sauce isn't to be sneezed at either. But fish doesn't really satisfy one, you'll admit, Stepan Frontage. There's no substance to it. The main thing in a dinner isn't the fish, no matter what the sauce, but the roast. Which are you fondest of? The assistant prosecuting attorney made a sour face and said, sighing, Unfortunately, I can't share your transports. I have catarrh of the stomach. Ah, oh, tut tut, my dear sir. Catarrh of the stomach is an, is an invention of the doctors. It's a complaint that comes mostly from pride and free thinking. Don't give it a thought. Suppose you don't feel like eating or you're even nauseated. Just pay no attention, but go right ahead and eat. Say the roast is a, a snipe or two, perhaps a partridge with it, or a brace of fat quail, and then you'll, you'll forget all about your guitar. I give you my word of honor. And what about the roast turkey? The bird should be a hen with fat, juicy white meat, the breast of a nymph. That should be tasty, murmured the prosecuting attorney with a wistful smile. Perhaps I would enjoy a slice of turkey. Oh, good Lord, but what about the duck? If you take a duckling, one that has had a taste of the ice during the first frost, and roast it, and be sure to put the potatoes, cut small, of course, in the dripping pan, too, so that they get browned to a turn and soaked with duck fat, and milk in the philosopher made a ferocious face. I was apparently about to say something, but instead... Suddenly smacked his lips, probably dreaming of roast duck, and without a word, as though pulled by some mysterious force, seized his hat and ran out. Hmm. 
Yes, perhaps I would enjoy a bit of duck, too, breathed the assistant prosecuting attorney. The presiding judge got up, walked about the chamber, and sat down again. After the roast, sir, a man is full, and he goes off into a sweet eclipse, continued the secretary. The body is basking, the soul is transported, and then for the crowning touch, two or three glasses of spiced brandy. The presiding judge grunted and struck out what he had written. I've ruined the sixth sheet, he exclaimed angrily. This is monstrous. Oh, oh, oh go on writing, my friend, murmured the secretary. I, I shan't say another word. You, you won't hear a thing. Believe me, Stepan Francis. He went on in a scarcely audible whisper. Spiced brandy, if it's homemade, is better than the finest champagne. After the very first glass, your whole being is suffused with a kind of fragrance, enveloped in a mirage, as it were, and it seems to you as if you aren't at home in your own armchair, but somewhere in Australia, and that you were astride a downsy ostrich. Oh, let's be off, Peter Nikolaitch, cried the prosecuting attorney with an impatient jerk of his leg. Oh, yes, my friend, the secretary continued. While you were sipping your brandy, it's not a bad thing to smoke a cigar. You blow rings, and you begin to fancy that you are a generalissimo, or better still, you are married to the most beautiful woman in the world. And all day long she is floating under your windows, in a kind of pool with goldfish in it. She floats there, and you call to her, Darling, come give me a kiss. Piotr Nikolaitch, moaned the prosecuting attorney. Oh, yes, my friend, when you've had your smoke, you lift the skirts of your dressing gown and climb into bed. You lie on your back and you pick up a newspaper when you can hardly keep your eyes open and your whole body is ready for sleep. Politics makes agreeable reading. Austria made a misstep. France got somebody's back up and the Pope put a spoke in someone's wheel. It's a pleasure, sir, to read of such things. The presiding judge threw down his pen, jumped up and seized his hat in both hands. The assistant prosecuting attorney, who had quite forgotten his catarrh, who was nearly fainting with impatience, jumped up. Oh, let's be off. Pyotr Nikolaitch, what about your dissenting opinion? Asked the secretary in dismay. My dear friend, when will you write it? You have to be in town at six o'clock. The presiding judge waved his hand in despair and made a dash for the door. The assistant prosecuting attorney made the same gesture, seizing his briefcase vanished together with the judge. The secretary looked after them reproachfully and began to gather up all the papers. End of The Siren by Anton Chekhov